Hello everyone, this is Saqib, uh, another round of Tennis with an Accent, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Jonathan Newman from the Body Serve podcast. I really don't think I have to do much of an introduction here. Uh, he's a very well-known name uh, of one of the better podcasts out there. Welcome, Jonathan, and thanks for taking time. Uh, I know you guys uh, probably recorded your own podcast sometime today. Welcome on Tennis Yeah, I'm actually Accent. just... First, thank you for having me, and I'm just coming on your show after finishing recording my episode, so it's a bit of a rat race to see who will get it out first, eh? <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I mean, mine is just like, you know, 20 minutes of, I'm sure you guys are taking a deeper dive. <laughs> but uh, uh, thank you for the introduction. I don't think I've had uh, as kind an introduction before, so I appreciate it. No, there's actually more to it. I listen to your podcast, and like most people, I come away impressed. You guys are articulate, measured in your response. The chemistry is there. And uh, and you guys are not part of the mainstream media like some of the you know like the tennis podcasts or John Wertheim's podcast. They are like people who are privy and have big access to players and media and ATP and WTA. So that being said, you guys do you know a fairly fantastic job, and you even tackle issues that most uh, uh, most popular or mainstream podcasts would not do. And I think that's what's so special. And you, you you guys do go there where you know conventional wisdom says, okay, you know let's Let's stay stay away, especially the Harrison and uh, Donald Young podcast. That was phenomenal. <laughs> I, no, I want to add that because, you know, before we start this, I listened to World Time podcast, and we all, you know, sometimes I'm guilty of getting impressed sometimes. And I said, wow, this is a very good podcast. And then next day I made a point to listen to your podcast. And then I came away and said, no, you didn't do a good job. It wasn't fair on many grounds. When, you know, both people are involved, you shouldn't be telling or giving a platform to, you know, one person to say his story. So that being said, you know, anyone who listens to my podcast that doesn't listen to your, I have a big shout-out, go check that episode out. That was one of the best episodes I've listened to. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I will say the one caveat is that we're able to do that because we don't have to worry about protecting access as well, which uh, which helps. You know, we're able to be a little bit more messy than other folks might, <laughs> might uh, feel like they're able to. So, uh, so thank you. No, I mean, but still, you have built a body of work, you know, you know, on body serve, and there's like repeat, you know, listeners. So I'm sure you guys have some freedom that you know uh, a production crew may, you know, intervene at a professional level. But I think your podcast <laughs> is pretty professional. I mean, you, you know, you keep, you keep creating body, you know, a body of work, and you keep coming on a weekly basis. So I'm sure it's keeping some of the bigger players honest. Uh, this kind of work. And kudos to you, and all the best with your latest endeavors you guys have been doing great work with uh what is it accent rg or hashtag on twitter and the push for the gofundme so all the best with that you're doing good stuff thanks thank you very much yeah so yeah let's get into you know some of the action uh, that did not take place very disappointing uh, i'm sure for all tennis fans arena fans and even i'm sure some of the sheriff fans wanted to you know test the waters and see this match and you never want to see a player go out you know on injury terms especially when you know her comeback is the uh, you know, all the more reason we should be rooting for just, you know, uh, the adversity she's overcome. So just walk me through, you know, this day when I'm sure you, like many other podcasts or many other bloggers or writers, you know, we're looking forward to talk about <clears throat> this match. And now what are we left with, you know, with uh, Serena probably going for an MRI and uh, Sharapova draws Muguruza. So just uh, give me give me your, you know, turn of events, how you view this and uh, where you're at as an analyst. Yeah, it was a, a bit of a letdown in that there was such excitement built up for this match, right? We have the history built in between the two. 
there's a head-to-head, obviously, that I believe, what, 19 and 2 in favor of Serena. She hasn't uh, lost to Maria since 2004. It's been 19 straight wins. But then we get to this match where they're both coming in with unusual circumstances. Maria obviously coming back from a doping suspension. It's been a year since she's been back, and then Serena coming back from having given birth. I don't think you could make the case that either of them, uh, certainly Serena, would be at their fighting best for this match. Uh, Maria certainly has been playing better lately. She's had injuries to it over the last year. And then, so the the caveat to this matchup today in looking forward to it was that I, I'm not sure there was anybody who was really fully on board or ready for this match to happen. And then you had the big build-up and then the big letdown. Uh, And in this case, it was Serena being injured. And while I wasn't one of the people who had had the heads up ahead of time, those who really pay attention to tennis and were paying attention the last couple of days, they were able to point to her doubles match, which we found out afterwards where Serena showed signs of not being at her best, especially in that third set where she was hitting 80-mile-an-hour first serve. And then we come to find out today, murmurs ahead of the match that Serena's going to pull out, and that's what happened. Yep. As for Serena, I don't know if I would put any great stock into uh, not being able to play this match from uh, what does this mean for her going forward from a strictly tennis perspective because she's not awed by the prospect of playing Sharapova not having to play her and beat her isn't a big deal. I think she would be disappointed that she wasn't able to build on what she was able to show on court this week. We saw her come back and play Indian Wells and Miami and have surprising losses in that she lost. You know, we're not used to seeing Serena losing, but it made sense. You know, she was getting herself back into fighting shape, coming back from having given birth a traumatic pregnancy. And... She gets to Roland Garris after not playing any of the clay lead-up lead up tournaments. That in itself was a surprise that she actually decided to play. And she gets to the first round, beats Pliskova, looks so much better against Barty after that first set. And then she takes out Yula Gerkis, which was a big win. Seriously that was a huge win for yeah. her. Yeah, in the third round. And so it looked like, you know, Serena was ready to roll. You'd still not be terribly surprised if she wasn't able to beat Maria because circumstances, that's just the way it is for her right now. Everything's still a bit of an unknown as she gets herself back Mm -hmm. to peak Serena. Uh, But her concern, though, is the injury because it's, it's, as she said, an injury that she's never had before. With other injuries, she's able to kind of know how to nurse it along at this point in her career because she's had it before. This one, she says she's never dealt with it before. And so she's going to have to listen to her team of doctors and meet with, as she says, as many specialists as possible to find the best course forward. First step with that today was, or yesterday was an ultrasound, and they're just going to do the MRI tomorrow. Patrick, uh, in being interviewed on Tennis Channel after the announcement, said that he felt that had she played today, it would have made the injury that much worse, and that to his mind, it's possible that you know, it might not be that bad that they stopped playing in time, but we won't know for sure until the MRI happens. And uh, unfortunately for Serena, having not played for so long, injuries are they're kind of par for the course in coming back and getting your body back into being accustomed to playing elite-level tennis. Uh, we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah, absolutely. We just hope, you know, there's a, you know, she can come back soon, especially for Wimbledon, one of, not one, I think the favorite tournament for her and a lot of 
for the Serena fan base, you know, people look forward for her participation. And, you know, without doubt, if she's healthy, she has to be the player to be. So let's keep, uh, you know, keep a track on how she does uh, when the MR results yeah. come and what the timetable is. So going back to Sharapova, uh, I know she's had like this dismal record and, you know, sometimes you have to give her credit. She was, she's always gets up for this match, even though, you know, she doesn't really match up well with Serena. So you think, uh, according to you, was this the best chance that given Serena's circumstances? Even though Maria herself had had her struggles, but she definitely had a more solid clay court season. She played more matches, and she came in as a confident version of her old self. So you think this was probably, you know, an outside chance today that uh, if, if this match had taken place? Yeah, she definitely had a chance. I don't know if I would say it's better than any other chances she's had before, nor do I think it necessarily would have meant anything in the long run outside of giving her confidence. Say she beats Serena, who is still not her, not at her best, in a situation that's not a Grand Slam final with not a whole lot on the line outside of her own pride, per se. Like, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to make a big dent in their overall head-to-head, nor do I think it would have changed the course of their so-called rivalry going forward, uh, it would have meant that she would have beaten a likely depleted Serena. Had she been able to take confidence from that going forward and have, you know, an extended run of good results, good for her and great, would it mean that she would take enough confidence into a next meeting with Serena to beat her at close to Serena's best? I don't know if that's the case. So, which is why I kind of take the approach that it was kind of a lose-lose situation all around today, before and after the announcement. Mm-hmm. And uh, up for uh, Sharapova next is uh, 2016 champion Garvinia Muguruza. How do you see that matchup? And now Sharapova is like, uh, she has played three matches and Muguruza has played four matches. Do you think that will be a difference? I think this one is going to be tough to call because Muguruza came in with not much steam into Roland Garros. Both are former champions. They've also not played each other a whole lot in their careers. Maria's 3-0, but they haven't played each other since 2014. One of those being a quarterfinal where Maria went on to win the tournament. And Garbina is a totally different person and player now since then. Uh, so it, it's really hard to tell who's going to do what. But I think we can count on that being, at the very least, you know, the kids like to say a popcorn match. But that's definitely one to watch. I definitely wouldn't make a prediction one way or the other because it's anybody's game, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. No, fair, fair call. I mean, yeah. Uh, this is, these, these matches are tough. Like, and we've learned something from Angie Kerber's run. She was, like, the least talked about of the season. Now she's put out, like, two informed uh, play coach specialists, if you want to call Caroline Garcia that. So yeah, we you know these prediction territory is always a tricky a tricky slope, and you don't know who's going to come out of uh, these matches. Um, another impressive winner yeah. today was a continuation of a match that uh, from yesterday. That's a uh, Kasakina over Wozniacki, and now she will be playing three days in a row. Uh, she didn't spend too much time today. I think was there for mere three three games that lasted like close to ten eleven minutes, and now she goes on against uh, Sloane Stevens. Have you been following both players' this tournament? And, uh, again, uh, I'll put you on the spot. Uh, what are the pros and cons, and uh, who has the edge in your view when they take the court tomorrow? They're one-on-one head-to-head. Kazakina did beat Sloan this year in Indian Wells. 
but it's so tough to play to bet against Sloan at this point. And uh, Ed McGorgan of Tennis.com wrote a piece today that I encourage our, all the listeners to, to go read where he kind of tracks the, the trajectory of Sloan and her results over the last 12 months, starting with her comeback in D.C. last year where she lost pretty badly and she had that now-known press conference where she kind of told the, the journalist to take a chill pill. You know, like, I'm going to win one eventually. Then she builds steam throughout the summer, and that com- culminated with the U.S. Open. Big surprise to everybody. And, you know, folks were like, well, what do we expect from Solano? Because historically, she's been able to have decent results here and there, but she hasn't been able to be consistent from week to week. And that didn't happen. She showed up in Australia at the start of the year, had a bad loss again. And it seems like the, the commonality with all these losses that I'm going to talk about is that she gets bagels. And again, she's not really bothered by it. She says, you know, this is going to happen. I'm going to win again. It's not the end of the world. She ends up finishing that spring hardcore season with a win in Miami, goes to clay, gets completely trounced by Bandaway, again bagels, and now she finds herself in the quarterfinals of the French Open playing some of the best tennis of, of anybody left in the, in the draw. And so at this point, I've learned my lesson, put it that way. I'm not going to bet against Sloan. Mm-hmm. I was going to say that said, Kazatkina is wildly talented. There are few things that she can't do on the tennis court. One of them being serves pretty well. I mean, that's obviously her biggest uh, weakness, but she's she's like a wizard on court. That one should be fun. If Kazatkina is, is up to the task and is able to keep the ball in court and stand around with Sloan, again, another good a good one to watch. The, the theme on the woman's side is that Pretty much all the matchups have something to look forward to. It's it's for all the upsets on the women's side, the depth of the WTA is shining through yet again, and the matchups are stellar, in my opinion. Yeah, the WTA side of things has been delivering for quite some time, and I know uh, the common consensus or sometimes the narrative is uh, you know big three, big four, but ATP really hasn't had the big three fire for a long time now, and definitely the WTA. Even without Serena, I think a lot of girls stepped up, and it was a very healthy competition, and this tournament is no exception. Uh, before we move on to the, some of the men's matches, uh, I want to just uh, further take a deep dive of what he just said about Sloan. So that probably highlights her mentality, that she's not uh, easily getting flustered by the series of losses. She's probably a big tournament player. She's, that, that's what I'm getting you know, from the mindset that she had a dismal run from Australia, and then she wins Miami, and now she's speaking again to the French Open. So are you along with the same thoughts that, you know, she's someone who's very strong mentally and is not weathered by some of these results? I mean, having strength mentally has to be part of the equation, but I also think that she's benefited from being just below the level of seriously top flight Uh contender in the in the mind's eye of the public and from the journalists as well. Because even if, you know, she's an up-and-coming black American tennis player, there's Venus and Serena there that takes some of that pressure off. She's playing well. She won the U.S. Open. She's not the top U.S. woman. Venus was that person. Hmm. Uh, and now she's going to be the U.S. number one. If she wins at the French Open, she'll have one, two slams. Maybe at some point the pressure becomes something that she can't keep at bay anymore. But today, she's been impressive 
at being able to compartmentalize and stay in the lane that she wants to, to build to the moment that she wants to grab, as she said, secure the bag. <laughs> uh, it's fast, I, I find her very fascinating right now. It is indeed. So another talking about fascinating. The fascinating matchup tomorrow is on the men's side between uh, Sasha Zverev and Dominic Thiem. Uh, with all due respect to Novak Djokovic, who keeps getting better and finding his form, I think it's fair to say that outside of Nadal, these two lads are, you know, you can put them two or three in any way, and I think you wouldn't be inaccurate because they have played some decent play football coming into this, and this is like a heavyweight fight. How do you break down this match, and uh, who, according to you, uh, will be a worthier challenger if it is Rafa Nadal in the final and one of these guys do end up uh, going there? I think Zverev would be the one to give Rafa a bigger test simply because I think his ceiling is higher. And I think eventually he's going to have the big results and big results in spades at the Grand Slam level. Whereas Dominic his results might be a little bit more sporadic throughout his career. Maybe that's a disservice to him. Uh, I liken, on, on my show, I, I liken Zverev's rise to Federer at the start of his career in that his talent was so plain to see for everybody. And having lived through it myself, it was like, well, is this going to be the time that Federer is going to finally break through? Mm-hmm. And while I don't think Zverev is going to have near the career that Roger has, I, I see parallels in that. And when you have players with that much talent, at some point it's going to click. And it might click against a player like Nadal, who everybody thinks is unbeatable on clay. They tend to have these magic moments, right? And uh, and so if, if you're a Nadal fan, he should be the one that you'd be more concerned about, I think. That said, team is looking to make his third straight Roland Garros semifinal. He has the pedigree on clay. He's not a chump by any means. Uh, they're head-to-head. I don't think you can put much stock in this. Uh, team leads 4-2, but you can definitely see the momentum building more on Sasha then. And while he's played all these five-set matches at this tournament and so much has been made about it, he still managed to win them. And as Rafa said and derided the journalists in press this week, he said he's still in the tournament, no? <laughs> so. Yeah. For all that folks want to talk about and say, well, he's there, but he's struggling. He's young. He's he's fit. He can handle these situations for the most part physically. He's shown that physically he's getting better. Eventually, with that much talent, it's going to click. And so if I'm Nadal, as much as he's wary, he says he's wary about anybody, as a fan, I would be more wary of Zverev in the finals. Interesting. That doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that it'll happen, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I think it's all about matchups. I mean, you hit on some, I think, excellent, you know, points that like, Sasha Zverev, without a doubt, has a higher ceiling. But I thought if there's one surface where they can be equals, and in my mind, I think, as of now, even though the Madrid final uh, was won by the German, I still think Dominic team just has more of a matchup thing where he can stay with Nadal. But at the same time, if Dominic team plays Djokovic, I'm not sure if he can go through Djokovic because Djokovic is flatter and that's been the trouble uh, in their past rival. Even the team has won, I think, this year in Monte Carlo. But, uh, yeah, I think... And that's the Open last year. Oh, yeah, I mean, okay. No, that match will, will still count. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to dismiss that match, but, yeah. And the head to head, it'll, it'll always stay. 
No, I think you, you do make a good point about, uh, you know, Sasha Vera is that kind of a guy, like a player of destiny, that who will rise to that kind of a challenge in a final, like Staffan did against Sampras. And, you know, those players do come around mm-hmm. and they step up for those big matches. So, once again, I mean, I think this, this is a fair analysis. So, how do you see this one shaping tomorrow? Uh, I know you've given your answer that Zverev would be a, a worthier challenger, but how does this match unfold tomorrow? Is it going to be a close one, or do you have a clear winner in your mind? As it happens, I still think that team is going to win. <laughs> uh, in previous years, Dominic has struggled through a lot of his earlier matches, and he seems to be playing with a lot more calm this time around. He's He hasn't played a fifth set. He should be fresher than Zverev. He has the fastest serve at the tournament mm-hmm. this year, for whatever that's worth. I think a lot of people are caught unawares by how much power he has in his game, especially in his backhand. Like, he's known for having a good backhand, but it is, even though a one-hander, as powerful as any on tour. And he's fit. I think he... I, if I had to pick one, I'd pick him tomorrow. Okay, I think that makes two of us. Uh, but I have, you know, Zverev in the final. I picked him tomorrow. I know, so I'm a little confused. I've done my brackets, and it's kind of a mess. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then uh, we can definitely talk about Novak Djokovic, you know, who's, uh, you know, who was the talk of the town, at least considering his level and the comeback, and there's a lot of narratives, a lot of opinions. And uh, he definitely is a much-improved version of what everybody saw in Miami and even in Barcelona. And he keeps winning these mm-hmm. matches, but he's still good to the good test. Verdasco was fairly routine. I mean, uh, you still see Djokovic missing those routine automatic backhands. Uh, where do you see him now after, you know, these first four wins? And uh, uh, how do you see Chekinado? Can, can he steal a set? Uh, how do you see that match unfolding? Novak at 50% shouldn't have any trouble with Chekinado. Uh When we saw Novak show up in Rome after that string of pretty bad losses to start the year, Obviously, he was getting himself back into form. Eventually, by Rome, he said, I'm finally playing pain-free. And the result of that was that he was able to to get to Rafa and and push him for a good portion of that match. And so after that semifinal in Rome, it looked that Djokovic was well and truly back. I don't know if his performance to date in the French Open has furthered his case in that regard. To be frank, he's had a fairly easy draw of it. And... His play while he beat uh, Verdasco in straight sets, it wasn't didn't inspire much confidence as far as I'm concerned. In terms of if you're looking to see him build from match to match to get to the point where he now has to play somebody who is leaps and bounds above the other players that he's played in a team mm-hmm. or as Verb and then potentially a Rafa again over five sets. That's the other factor that a lot of folks aren't considering with Novak right now. Even if he's playing that much better, it's an entirely different thing to test his endurance and being able to keep uh, the ball in play for five sets if he has to against, especially Rafa. Um, Getting to the semifinals would be an achievement and something he should definitely hang his hat on and definitely augurs well for the rest of the year. I just don't know if he's there yet, which is why I would still pick either of team or Zverev to beat him and get to the final. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, my my check for him was if how convincingly he goes through the early rounds, and, uh, he you know, he's definitely come through. But I still think, uh, even his coach said he's close to 80%, so who am I? But 
to say anything uh, different. Yeah, I think uh, mm-hmm. I agree that semi-final would be a really good result, and the other two guys, uh, that'll be a good challenge, and finally an ultimate test to see if he does go through them. And uh, last but not the least, let's, uh, you know, go back to Serena Williams. Uh, Brianna, who also, you know, is a good friend of yours and has been on your podcast, has a question for uh-huh. you. Uh, this represents, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this represents like a mindset of a lot of Serena fans who are dejected. So she's basically saying if uh, there was an injury that uh, occurred during the singles match, why did she get on the double court? Uh, was this a mistake? I know Serena has answered this, but what's your take on that? Could she use more precaution by not playing doubles? I think that Serena needed to know for sure what it would look like for her had she taken the court in singles. And this this is what she told us in her press, right? I don't think she wanted to get, get into a situation where she stepped on court against Sharapova. And let's be real, like there's a lot of outside context to their matchup. That's not just her, say, if she were to go play Kerber. You know, mm-hmm. it's there's possibly a lot more pride on her and in, in playing a Sharapova and not wanting to lose a streak, potentially. Some people are casting that as fear. I don't think that's accurate at all. But I think she wanted to get a, a fuller grasp on whether she could play to an acceptable level against Sharapova. Yeah. She and only she would know what percentage that would need to be to be able to beat Sharapova. You know, maybe she needs to feel 40% to feel like she could beat Sharapova and Mm-hmm. But she needs to find out. And for her, the only way that she could find out was to test it in match conditions. And so she said that that involved using all various different types of uh, tapes and strappings to deal with the pectoral, uh, well, I don't know if it's a strain, but injury. And obviously by the end of that third set in that doubles match, it became clear that this was not, uh, this was going to be prohibited for her. Okay. So I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. No, I, I think it does. I mean, it's also a mindset of, you know, where every one of us is a fan and, you know, we bounce these ideas of each other and, you know, this is a pretty reasonable reply and I think it's a fair assessment considering how, how much we know of the, you know, what, what it was and that's pretty much, I think, what she said in the presser as well. So I was going to cover Nadal, but I think we did cover him indirectly through, uh, because he's still the standard no matter who gets through to play in the final. And, uh, thanks Jonathan for doing this. This was, uh, you know, brilliant as usual. And uh, the other matches that we didn't cover, you can obviously tune into the body serve because they probably will have a fuller, deeper account of what's been done so far. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks, Jonathan, for doing this. Hopefully, we can do this again one day. It's my pleasure. I've had a blast. Thanks, Akeep. All right. Thanks.